0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Living Permaculture on KDNK. I'm your host, Vanessa Harmony of Colorado Edible Forest Plant Nursery in Spring Valley of Glenwood Springs. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Nick Schaefer of Grow Green Now, LLC, a company based in Basalt, Colorado, offering edible gardens and tree care. Nick grew up on the big island of Hawaii on his family's organic farm and plant nursery. He studied horticulture and sustainable agriculture at University of Hawaii and Uppsala University in Sweden. He went on to earn his Master's of Education in Curriculum Development. Nick has worked as a horticulturalist in Seattle, Washington, as an organic farm manager for two properties in Hawaii, as an arborist and tree climber in Hawaii, and now he owns and operates Grow Green Now in the Roaring Fork Valley. Nick, welcome to the program.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Vanessa.
0: You're welcome. How do you introduce yourself in native Hawaiian? (laughs)
1: Uh, Kako, oh kako, Nick Schaefer. That's my name, Um, and yeah.
0: That's awesome. Well, I thought maybe you could start by sharing with our listeners how some of your company's service offerings uh, contribute to feeding the community and supporting natural systems in the Roaring Fork Valley.
1: Um, Well, one of our biggest principles within the company is to really recycle and reuse everything that we do. We do a lot of, you know, tree, tree takedowns, tree prunings, and then design and installs. So anything that we do, we try to use everything that's on the property and reuse all, especially the carbon, like biggest thing in our company is reusing that, if we chip up the wood, you know, offer the wood chips to the, the owner and see what we can do as far as, you know, starting up an edible garden for them if they're interested.
0: Right. In fact, at Rivendell Farms, you've offered us some of your wood chips. So we have been able to benefit from your res- your wood chip recycling. <laughs> yeah. Great. Uh, what proportion are of your projects are installation versus tree care?
1: Um, I say right now it's about fifty-fifty. We do um, a lot of a lot of tree removals, uh, prunings, you know, and then we we do offer design and install. And anytime anytime I do take out trees, I I try to ask you know what would you like to replace it with because there's you know there's only a limited amount of trees in this valley, with, especially with the water scarcity and. You know, it's it's a high alpine desert, so we got to really be res- responsible and respectful to that environment, and r- trying to put in, replace whatever we re- remove.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, have the majority of your projects hit, been in the basalt area, or do you service the entire valley?
1: We do service the whole entire valley. Uh, we've done a lot of work in basalt and Carbondale, as I haven't done much advertising so a lot of it is just word of mouth so if we're in the neighborhood you know usually people come out and you know see what we're doing oh we've got some trees over here what do you guys what else do you guys offer well we can start up a garden for you or or renovate what you got going already and then we also do you know we've done some in glenwood springs and some big installs in snowmass and and a few in aspen but i I do like to kind of cater to the local community that are here year round.
0: Mm-hmm. And when did you move to the Valley?
1: Um, been here for, been in Colorado for about nine years and uh, the Valley for about seven. And the company has been going since 2020. And that was kind of the, the impetus to start it up. I lost my job on on the mountain. I teach skiing and snowboarding in the winter. And it was, you know, pandemic hit in March and we were like unemployed for two months and I just couldn't help myself. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy to just sit around and not do anything. So I started to go around and ask neighbors, can I help you with your garden? Can I do some pruning? <laughs> and then, yeah, just kind of took off from there.
0: So what were some of the formative experiences when you were growing up that led you to this type of work?
1: Um, uh, yeah, really growing up in the islands was a big impact on my entire life. I, I mean, especially growing up with my, my family, having a, a nursery with potted plants and, you know, we, we had a farm, but it was mostly for our, for our own sustenance. Uh, we sold some of our extra fruits and stuff that we had. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a big big part of my life, especially the culture, uh, living on an island, growing up on an island, you really get to know your resources and how to use them. Well, because you, you're part of the whole stream. You got, you're from the mountains to the sea and call it a in Hawaii. And, you know, back in the day that was, that was the land ownership was, or management and stewardship. No one really owned the land, but a family would have. Rights to, from the ocean to the sea, and that was their responsibility. Wow. So So that was a really big thing growing up and understanding that, and I'm still learning from it. And
0: right. <laughs> so the it was the idea that from the oceans to the or from the mountains to the sea, you would have all of the resources and and climates and that you would need to produce what you needed.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's, I mean, always a barter system, you know, if sometimes you, you live on the dry side of the, of the, of the island and, you know, you can't grow what, what you can grow on the wet side. And so there'd be some trading going on and, and everyone kind of knew what the specialty was around the island. And so, you know, big thing was, yeah, sharing those resources and knowing what you have and how to protect that because it's, it's all going back down downstream and you got to know who's downstream. And the ocean is that final output, so really respect for the ocean too.
0: And your family's organic farm and nursery is still operating, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, we do. We're mostly focusing on just potted plants. We also have a big parcel of land uh, that I still go back to every year and and um, and manage. It's it's basically like a edible forest garden. There's it's a big big parcel that's. It's been kind of inundated with invasives um, because of you know some some stripping of the forest and and the tree ferns are a big a big uh, resource. and so we're trying to revitalize the forests while planting functional and edible plants.
0: and are those invasive plants or other types of invasive species
1: <laughs> that we're growing that
0: are affecting that land?
1: Yeah. So, the, well, the biggest biggest one is the guava. There's a strawberry strawberry guava that can grow from sea level up to six thousand feet, and so you know the birds love it, the pigs love it. They spread it all around, mm-hmm. and and they they're really opportunistic, and they kind of just form thickets of of dense you know wooded areas, and so it takes a little bit to to remove them, and you know, it's good fruit. I, I, no disrespect to the fruit. The fruit is good. (laughs) I've, I've, I've grown up on that and, you know, learned to manage it in ways that, you know, it doesn't take too much machinery and it's, yeah, trying to replace it with more, more native and functional plants is, you know, it's a process, but it takes some time. And if you're willing to put it in, put in the work and up front, then let, you know, let it grow.
0: <laughs> and how do you divide your time between the Roaring Fork Valley and Hawaii if you still manage that parcel?
1: Uh, yeah, that's it's always changing. I mean, I always either try to make it back. I was going back the first five years before I started the company here in the Roanoke Fork. Mm-hmm. I was going back every summer and working, doing tree work and and climbing out there, and then on my spare time managing the farm and um, doing as much propagation of native and edible plants that I could. But now it's kind of uh, cut back down to either in the spring or the fall, we can make it back. So this, so this is kind of the last month of work here that we're pushing through and then we're gonna go out to Hawaii for a month or maybe longer. Nice.
0: <laughs> well, um, since you have found what you're passionate about. It's not really a grind. So even though you're working all throughout the year, I'm glad that you're pursuing your true passion. Absolutely. What are some of your favorite edible plants to grow here in Colorado?
1: Oh, good question. Um, I like to always promote you know, the berries, I love elderberries, raspberries, uh, blueberries, and all the small shrubs because mm-hmm. they're kind of easier to manage. It takes a little bit more work to convince people to plant trees because it isn't for the long term. And, you know, everybody's worried about bears and wildlife right. coming in. So mm-hmm. um, it's hard to promote that. But I love, that's one thing, one big thing difference from here in Hawaii is that we can grow a lot of the stone crop plants you know apricots is one of my favorites and that's what I was doing today I was pruning an apricot tree and got to you know throughout the summer it's been kind of interesting summer it seems like we've had apricots for like the last two months at right least. so <laughs>
0: to tide us over until plums and apples. Yeah,
1: yeah. I just we were at another property uh, f- last week and they had a plum tree and they were just we were pr- we were doing work on some other trees but they're like we've got way too many plums, please take them. I'm like absolutely. All
0: right. <laughs> well, I sell lots of berries and fruit trees in my nursery, so if you have any installs that you need plants for, Hit me up.
1: Yeah, definitely. I know you've got a good selection, and I can't wait to use them.
0: I look forward to showing you the nursery. Um, well, as you know, permaculture design focuses on observing nature and mimicking natural systems to propel your design and your, and your um, properties. Can you share some examples of ways the landscapes and your designs utilize permaculture principles? We talked about the carbon cycling
1: mm-hmm. and yeah. I guess catch and um, store energy. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Um, you know, obtaining a yield is something that I always try to promote in the edible gardens because that's an easy one. I mean, it's hard for people to think. You know, planting a tree. You know, you're always going to be adding to that carbon sink that will go on for years as long as you can care for that tree. Uh, but yeah as far as working it into landscapes, it's it does take a keen sense of observation In Hawaii we call it kilo mm-hmm. is uh, like, you know deconstructing an environment without um, destructing it.
0: I like that. And
1: so really taking in the depth of knowledge that that place is able to, offer you and that you know it's usually uh, a collaboration between me and the the homeowner because a lot of you know sometimes it's just a new homeowner that's just moved here and want a new landscape and don't have anything really as far as knowledge of the area and so there's that and then but then there's also the people that have been here for a long time and just want to learn more and how to you know care for their their property that they've been loving for years. And so that taking in that knowledge from, from people that have been here for a while is, is, is really huge. And so we try to take that into our, our design and using, you know, whatever we got that's on site as much as possible. There's lots of rocks, you know, finding those low areas that we can obtain a yield as far as water. If there's anywhere we can, you know, make a little sunken garden or something because yeah it's the water scarcity is is definitely a big issue here so
0: and do you think that that perspective and approach is distinctly different from a lot of other uh, design and landscape and tree care companies around here
1: yeah I think it's 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 something to that people need to be more aware of I mean it's it's it does take a lot of work to like, put in a whole irrigation system and, you know, you're using plastic and, and it takes a lot of infrastructure to, you know, get this, especially get the plant going, you know, depends on where you are. If you're, you know, up on Missouri Heights, you know, it can be a lot drier, a little bit more difficult to get plants going compared to down in the valley floor where you're closer to the water table or, or have more access to water in general. So, yeah, that's... <laughs>
0: We're almost like on an island here. Yeah,
1: and that's one thing that I do love about the Roaring Fork is is the the d- dynamics, you know, within the valley. We have aspen that's, you know, pretty high on elevation all the way down to Glenwood Springs. And, you know, people ask me, you know, all the time at different projects throughout the valley, like, what can I grow here? And it's like, Wow. You know, you can't really grow what you can in Glenwood Springs if you're in Aspen, but, you know, we'll work with it.
0: Yeah, we have lots of options. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I love from your website was you said, gardening brings us all closer to nature and more in touch with our natural ecosystem. And it reminded me of the slogan of my company, Colorado Edible Forest, which is, grow food, build soil, nurture nature. And the latter part is, not just about actually nurturing nature, like planting enough for the the deer and the bear and the birds, but also nurturing our own connection to nature. Can you reflect more about the importance of connecting to nature?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, gardening, I mean, it's it's been, it's you know pulsing through my veins. I've I've grown up with it, and so I I think of it more of like on a philosophical like belief system of of nature and how, how we can, you know, everything that I do, I learn from it and it's, you know, being able to design, design a landscape that, you know, take the, takes those things into account of what nature would do naturally. And it's, it's difficult and you know, it's not, you're always working with the clients and what they want. And so it's like, well, so this is, I always give, you know, a presentation of, of, what would grow really well with the minimal amount of work, give you the most yield and most beauty and aesthetics. And and then we kind of work with, you know, what they want as well. So it's right. always a balance. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'll just remind our listeners that you're listening to KDNK. This is the Living Permaculture Show, and we're interviewing Nick Schaefer of Grow Green Now LLC, based in Basalt, Colorado. Another highlight from your educational background was learning about plant and microbe interactions. What, are, what has been your experience with educating your clients about plant-microbe interactions? And have there been any, been any exciting new developments in the research lately?
1: Um, well, it's, it's an exciting world. There's a lot going on. I mean, it's, you know, plant-microbe interactions deals with viruses, funguses, bacteria, the whole realm of things that you can't see. And so being able to identify and, you know, correctly treat all these different, you know, diseases is one thing, but also learning how to to use them to your, you know, advantage within the landscape and how to perpetuate, you know, good bacteria, good good funguses is is awesome. I mean Uh, one thing that we do, uh, with Grow Green now, we have a partnership with Two Roots Farm and we're, that's where we bring a lot of our, um, wood chips and they're building soil with that. We're making compost. They're using a lot of stuff on farm for, um, for all their vegetable crops. And yeah, being able to be a part of that process and kind of work together how to build the best compost is, has, has been really inspiring for me. And, It's, I mean, as far as new developments, um, yeah, some of the soil science uh, jargon, I don't want to get too deep into that, but, um, learning, you know, the first thing that we could do when we go into new sites is we take a soil sample and kind of see where we're at as far as the macro and micro nutrients. And then we also do, um, some, some tests to see what what kind of uh living organisms that we have going on in the in there and we can you can it's kind of fun to to compare and contrast different acidities of soil and what you know what's actually living in there and what's going to do well naturally without uh, changing it too much um
0: And do you send off the sample for the, um, microbial observations or do you do work with the microscope yourself?
1: I I do most of it myself. I've kind of, it's, we don't go too deep as far as like bacteria and funguses, but it's mostly, mostly like the arthropods and the bigger, Uh bigger things that you can see that there's a couple of tests that you can do. and, And, um, one with light, You put the soil in, in a bottle, shine some light on it. And a lot of things come up out of it and you can kind of see what's, what's living in there you can like saturate the soil and that brings a lot of things out and it's, uh, you know, g- give them different environments and you start to see what's in there and it's, it's pretty, pretty fun to compare and contrast throughout Ooh. the Valley. Cause there's so many different soil types within right. the Valley. Mm-hmm. It's such a dynamic um, soil composition, wherever you go. So the apparent material is all different. So it's really, that's been a learning process in Hawaii. It's just mostly, you know, volcanic ash that we're dealing with that, you know, clay soils that have been broken down or or abused from cane, cane sugar plantations and, and bringing those back to life is uh, a big thing that we do in Hawaii, but here it's, it's always, it's always a little different.
0: Well, it's been really encouraging for me lately to see a lot more scientific focus on on soil health. And um, for me, I remember it would being also very eye-opening when I started learning about the soil health and all of the microbes and the fungi and the bacteria, because it all opened up a whole new side of the world that I had just been ignoring my whole life. I would walk on the ground but not think about what I was walking on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's hard to take in, you know, things that you can't see and, and it, it, you know, there's, there's ways that you can visualize that, you know, through the plants, how they're interacting uh, with the soil. Cause they're the, the, you know, one of the permaculture principles is like, you know, life within the margins really think about, you know, where, where the margins are within you know if you have a if you have a forest on the property and then and then just you know lawn you know right in between right you know between those ecosystems is going to be the most most life and the most you know competition so that's that's usually sometimes i give I, I take different soil samples in the margins and then you know with the in the forest and then in the in the sod and see what see what the differences are
0: Nice, and do you keep records of all those?
1: I try to, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot, yeah. But I try to keep files on that and, and kind of every every year or however much, I mean, soil, count, soil samples cost a little bit of money and it takes a little bit time to analyze stuff, but as much as we can to compare and contrast like this, the same property over the years is, is really fun.
0: Well, going back to the compost at Two Roots Farm, I believe Rivendell Farm sold you some yucca extract or sold Harper yep. some yucca extract. So yeah. is that in order for the water to soak better into the compost pile?
1: Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, like I was saying, the water scarcity is huge. And so with compost, the big limiting factors is air and water. And so once you have those dialed in to the right ratio and then, you know, the carbon and nitrogen ratio within the organic material, and then you just got to bring the life in, you know, bring some, you know, some of those beneficial bacteria, break it down, and sometimes some projects. Also, I offer like with my stump stump removals. Um, a lot of the industrial standard is to just grind them, get them out of there, and and just leave them. But we we offer like an inoculation for edible uh, mushrooms. Cool. And so that's that's been really fun to like you know, people that aren't even aware that they can grow mushrooms, you know, if it's the right environment, sometimes if you take down the tree, then it opens up a lot of light and uh-huh. it's not always the best, but if there's some shade in there and, you know, a good small, like local ecosystem that, you know, would, would, uh, do well for mushrooms and I offer it and, and it's, it's really fun to see, see the, the process and, and the excitement when right. they get their first mushrooms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you still grind up the stump?
1: Yeah, so it's, there is a couple of ways. Sometimes we do grind it up and then just inoculate um, the wood chips that are there, uh, using like an oil oil spore. And then we also just uh, use plugs too. So we we cut the stump pretty low, and then we use inoculated plugs to plug the plug the stump and put a put a layer of wax on there to keep the moisture in and. And the, you know, the other bacteria and other funguses that are trying to get in, keep them out. So that gives the edible mushrooms some, some space to grow.
0: Nice. Well, at my nursery, we took out a sick box elder tree. And then inoculated it with some Nameko mushroom spawn. Oh, great. But, of course, it was right before it turned. The heat switch turned on in June. So they oh. haven't done anything, but I've been watering it. Nice, yeah. So just hopefully keep it, this fall.
1: Keep it wet. That's what the mushrooms love. Like A little bit of shade, a little bit of water. Mm-hmm. And that'll do great.
0: And what other kind of mushrooms have you
1: um, inoculated? Locally, focus on oyster mushrooms are probably the easiest, uh, wine caps, uh, shiitake, if you got some hardwood, some oak, some gamble oak, uh, there's not too much hardwoods in the valley, but, um, yeah, those are the, those are the main, main go-tos because they're just so easy to, to inoculate and, you know, the, the wine caps really love, Uh, more of a compost wood chip mix and so garden beds are like perfect to you know if you're doing your pathways with Mm. with wood chips and Mm -hmm. you got your garden beds you know put those put some spawn in the margins there and they'll just take off
0: cool do you have any goals for either the end of this season or else next season with grow green now
1: really trying to do do more edible gardens because we, you know, there's a lot of, it's tough to get people on board with growing a lot of edible stuff because so much wildlife is going to come in and, you know, cause trouble, but, you know, nature's share. We always got to be aware of that. Yeah, you know, it's going to happen. Birds are going to come in. Bears are maybe going to come in, but there's, there's ways that you can, you can get around that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm. Always trying to encourage my customers and the public that we should be planting enough to share with the wildlife, the birds and the deer and the elk and even the bears too. Yeah. Because if we're just constantly removing their food sources, then they're going to be invading our edible food sources as um, more often. So yeah. I'm glad that you're doing the same. Well, I wanted to borrow another quote from your website. You said, let me teach you about the magic of plants because nothing tastes better than eating farm-to-table produce under the shade of a magnificent tree. I loved that. If any of our listeners would like to learn about the magic of plants with Nick and Grow Green Now LLC, you can go to Nick's website, www.growgreennow.com. You can reach Nick at 808-557-4013 or you can email growgreennowllc at gmail.com. Nick, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your workday to share your work and passion with our listeners today on Living Permaculture.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Vanessa.
0: You're welcome. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Once again, I'm your host, Vanessa Harmony of Colorado Edible Forest in Glenwood Springs. You can find my contact info at www.coloradoedibleforest.com. Tune in next month on KDNK on the third Monday of October at 4 p.m. for another episode of Living Permaculture. I'll talk to you then. Oh, Grandfather, tell me how it was when you-